This is Rob McCallum, writer-director of Nintendo Quest, and you're listening to the Super NES Podcast. Welcome to the Super NES Podcast. This is episode 11, um, and this is your regular, uh, our regular host, Greg, speaking. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the popular uh, classic game of the Super NES, uh, ActRaiser, which was released by uh, Enix and for, for the Super, their Super NES North America in, in 1991. And uh, I'm also very pleased to be joined again by somebody who's been on the, po- who's been on the podcast previously, and it's so much fun that it wasn't too hard to talk him to try to come back onto the show. So uh, once again, I'm pleased to have like Aaron Hickman joining me. Hey, how's it going? This is Aaron from Retro Obscura. Happy to be here. Yeah, I uh, thank you very much for coming back on the podcast, Aaron. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Uh, this is one of my favorite <laughs> games, and uh, I would say it's it's still pretty underrated as a game. I think there's a lot of people that maybe didn't have a Super Nintendo and didn't play this game back when it came out. I think it was a launch title, right? Uh, not quite, but very pretty, clo- pretty close. Pretty close, pretty close, yes. But I agree with that feeling 100%. Uh, this game was very popular. Flamber uh, that came out. I remember getting a lot of press and a lot of people talking about it. But it really seems to be like a forgotten classic these days. 
Um, I don't think a lot of people have either played the game or played it so many years ago that to so they kind of forgot about it and it's kind of just kind of like no falling under the radar. So yeah, no, and I I completely agree. I think it probably had even more of a following in Japan than it did here, mm. uh, because there was even much later. Maybe you you'll go ahead and get into this, but there was a a broken down or like a, a much uh, lighter version of the game released on mobile phones in Japan. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know, I, and I think there was even a manga over in Japan for this game. So I think it was just a little bit more popular, but it's just fantastic, fantastic game. Yes, definitely. Um, so I'm glad this podcast is giving the outlet just like now we talk about some popular games like for change instead of all the obscure stuff that you do on your own podcast. So <laughs> this is this is still somewhat obscure. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who he helps out on our podcast. His name's Ben over in the UK. Yep. And mm-hmm. he didn't grow up with a Super Nintendo. And, uh, you know, I'm, I keep trying to get him to go back and try games. So as of late, I said, you know, I just finished this game. Go and play it. You'll really enjoy it because he loves action platformers. Mm-hmm. He's into some you know simulation games a bit like uh, a transport tycoon or, uh, you know, like um, SimCity type stuff. So I said, yeah, you'll really enjoy this game. Mm. Yeah, I uh, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I guess it's a good, so good times then you talk about the like the background and the sales figures like, real quick. Um, this game was developed by Quintet and published by Enix, which also did Soul Blazer, which is the first game that we covered on this podcast way back when, a few months ago. So uh, I won't go into any huge detail about the companies here. Um, but um, real quick question: Did this game? It actually came out before Soul Blazer, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yep. But they share some of the same sound effects and even the same life bar, so it might throw you off into thinking <laughs> that the games are somehow related. They're kind of loosely considered to be like you know like like you no know, spiritual like spiritual brothers. Successor. Yeah, right. I know yeah. I know what you mean because it's almost like you wonder if Soul Blazer was planned as a sequel to this game mm-hmm. originally. Well, this game does have a sequel, which we'll talk about briefly toward the end. But right. but uh, but uh, spoiler, uh, it's not a very good game. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it's not it's nowhere near as good as the first game, sadly. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, um, Activator was came out in Japan in December nineteen ninety. It was almost it was almost a launch title in North America. She came out to he came out in November ninety one over here. Uh, so about just about three months after the system came out, and it came out in Europe in nineteen ninety two. This game is currently available on Virtual Console. So you can play it that way if you want to. And as Aaron mentioned, there is a mobile phone version of this game available available like mobile Japan and Europe. Um, this game was undoubtedly more popular and more, uh, more popular in Japan. It's sort of about sort of about 400,000 copies like over there. Uh, it only sold about 180,000 copies uh, of like North America and only 40,000 in Europe. So um, when you compare that to Super Castlevania 4, which I talked about uh, like in the last podcast, which sort of uh, which, which sold over half a million copies in, copies in North America, uh, like for a game that came out not that much longer after this one, uh, then you really see this game. This game was not as like not a super um, uh, smash success like over here. But uh, the game did receive very high marks. So like I said, it, it got like rated like very favorably, uh, like a lot of magazines and, and press coverage. Like originally came out. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh... 
I, I just wish more people knew about it. I'm going to keep saying that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I wish it would have done so much better. And because you, you look back at Enix and it seems like the companies, they, they weren't developing any games for themselves on the Super Nintendo, really. You know, in Japan, they were bringing out Dragon Quest games. But um, over here, we were pretty much getting what Quintet put, what Quintet put out or Asmic. Uh, not really any straight up Enix stuff, which is kind of surprising. And may, and I think it was almost because RPGs at the time were still kind of like you know the the Japanese RPGs. It's kind of like a test market. Like they didn't they didn't know if uh, America was ready for these games. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just kind of weird. And so it's really interesting that they did bring over Actraiser because it's such a a hybrid game. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I just think it's really neat that. They, they went ahead and, and published it. Mm, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's a great point. It's also like a very good segue. F- like, f- like something else I wanted to mention. Um, uh, like, just like hybrid games or like, you know, genre mixing games like this uh, are very hard to find done very well, like in both parts. Uh, there are numerous games that I've tried over the years, like try to blend like two different aspects together. Um, but but a lot of times they fall short. Uh, they either because that one side is stronger is, is stronger than the other side, or so the two genres don't really mix all that well, um, or, or sort of something like you know sloppy design and planning. Uh, there's really only a, the kind of my mind at least anyway. There's really only a few good handful examples of genre mixing games that have really been able to do things as well as like what Actraiser has. Um, the Puzzle Quest games. For the computer and consoles come to mind, uh, those blend together like puzzle pu- puzzle aspects with like an RPG setting. So uh, those games, like those games are quite fun. Um, some of my all-time favorite favorite PC games, uh, System Shock One and Two, uh, are also are also great mixing games. And then if like, they blend a first-person shooter uh, with also like an RPG aspects to them, uh, and also and also System Shock spiritual successors. Um, the uh, Bioshock and the Deuce X games also also take a page from that, but uh, and there's a game and there's a game I just finished playing on Steam actually that I had that that I originally that I originally uh, had kickstarted, which is called a uh, Sunstrider, that uh, the uh, that also mixes two genres very well that I never really thought could be mixed. Uh, the half of the game is a uh, tactics-based uh, space starship game where you move ships like around a map and a map and do attacks like upon your opponent ships that kind of stuff uh but the other half of the game is like a virtual novel game in which you like make choices and get to romance a girl and that kind of stuff pure typical like japanese you know japanese like virtual novel stuff and i'm like and i'm like when i first heard about it i'm like these two genres being mixed together it's like wow but uh they actually worked very very well surprisingly so um and act razor is a combination uh, action platform and light simulation game uh which is again two genres that really don't seem like they would really mix all that well together but uh but quinta did an excellent job in just kind of blending and balancing out the game very well uh to really give like an even-handed feel so that like like that both parts work together and one part of the game doesn't Citizen like overbalance the other parts. Yeah, no, I I completely agree, and I just uh, wanted to drop my own examples real quick of of some games that don't do it so well, and some that maybe do. And and there's one company that I think of for some reason that keeps coming to my my mind, uh, and that's Culture Brain. If you've ever heard of the company Culture Brain, they're a pretty obscure company, 
much more popular in Japan. But uh, they, they brought over um, a few games on NES, like uh, Flying Warriors. Yes, yeah. Where they had like beat em up aspects mixed with RPG, mixed with, you know, a few other things. They were pretty interesting, but it's almost like uh, a jack of all trades, master of none thing going on. <laughs> and the same thing happened. Um, it was a little better, uh, Little Ninja Brothers where they took their gameplay from Kung Fu Heroes and then they mixed it with an RPG, move around an overworld aspect, and then they threw in some like interesting track and field segments. Uh, so there's games like this out there, uh, especially like um, Magic of Scheherazade mm-hmm. on NES, where yeah. it's like, oh, we've got our, our turn, turn-based RPG aspect. We've got um, some segments where you actually, it's like Legend of Zelda. It's like Legend of Zelda mixed with Dragon Quest, mixed with you know a few other things. Uh, it, it, so I I love it when people try to mix genres together, and that's how we get things like now we have things like a, a puzzle roguelike or a platformer roguelike, you know, like um, um, Spelunker or something like that, where you mix these two genres together. And sometimes it doesn't always work so well. Like there's mm. a game on the, um, I think it was the Game Boy Advance or the DS, where it was like a mix between an RPG and a shooter. Mm. And and sometimes it's kind of like I, I don't know how these work so well together. But <laughs> in the case of ActRaiser, you just wish more games were like this. And I you have to give you're right. You have to give Quintech credit because I don't think many other companies at this time could quite get that formula as well as they did, especially so early in the Super Nintendo's lifespan, mm. where you're going, man. I, you're just like how how can you get much better than this <laughs> you know this early on that's yeah yeah that's actually that's actually that's actually uh, that's actually an excellent point here and it's a point i was going to bring up next uh many consoles during the first year or so of their existence don't have that many good games out like for it because it takes time like for the companies the companies to get the games out there it takes time to do it takes time like the programmers to learn the system um but the super NES, i think has probably one of the strongest early or early catalogs, well, early game catalogs, like of any major system, as far as like games that sort of came out that came out the system in the first year, well, let's say year and a half, like when it's launched in North America from August of 91 until by December 92. When you think about all the classics that came out with the system during that year and a half time period, uh, just really like amazing great games. I don't think any other console like was able to match as far as the like, as far as the production of like classics that came out uh, like my first year. Uh, because the Super NES you have games like uh, with Pack and like Super Mario World, uh, F Zero, Power Wings, uh, Final Fantasy IV. Uh, this game, of course, like Act Razor, uh, Super Castlevania 4 came out uh, during that time period. I believe Zelda came out like '92 as well. So um, just like you know, all these like all these like great games that the the people actually talk about and play and play to this day, really showing off the system strengths, like strengths and capabilities. Um, I think maybe part of the reason is because of the fact that the system, the system had already been out in Japan like for a while. So like all these games were already were already ready uh, and are ready and could be translated and imported over here to the states without without too much of a delay compared to compared to many other consoles in which it was like a almost simultaneous like worldwide release of the system, especially especially like modern ones. Yeah, no, I I completely agree and. Uh... I just, uh, I, I think that, I don't know, I just wish more more systems that had come out 
had such a strong early library as the Super Nintendo, it, it would it would be really cool because you think of later systems like uh, I, I think the Dreamcast was a good example. It had some really strong launch titles, but game like systems like the PS2 or the PS3 uh, just didn't really have a strong library out of the gate, you know. Mm. Uh, or, or earlier systems, you think of like the Intellivision, where it launched with a blackjack game. <laughs> <laughs> because it's it, maybe it's just different market conditions. It's it's a what demographic are we appealing to? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, yeah. So ActRaiser, like we already said, is a combination action platformer and simulation game. Um, and and the credit. Um, so, like, so, like, like, so I'm guessing most people out here probably already know what I mean by those terms. Um, but, um, but action platformer in the sense, like, you actually have a guy going around, uh, going around from stage to stage, like, a stage to, like, a weapon, using various kinds of magics, fighting enemies, like a boss, that kind of thing. Um, and simulation in the sense, like, you have, like, have a town, like, you're trying to, like, grow, protect, and build the town. And... And the time this game came out, uh, like you know, I was really a huge fan, like of both genres. Uh, I'm not quite as big a fan for action adventure games uh, games now as I was back then, but I'm still a huge simulation fan. Uh, like I grew up, like you know, loving games like you know, like Sid Meier's Civilization, uh, Sim City, uh, just the great games that Kawaii put out, like for the NES and Super NES. Uh, so, like, I'm a huge simulation strategy fan still, like to this day. So when I heard about this game being advertised, I uh, being advertised it. And I want to say, like, Nintendo Power, uh, back was getting ready to come out. I'm like, you know, this sounds like a match made in heaven. Just being able to match, like, you know, like, simulation, like, of, like, like some action platforming uh, uh, aspects to it. Um, when did you first uh, encounter this game, Aaron? Oh, shoot. I think it was when, it was around when we got the Super Nintendo. I think we'd had the Sega Genesis for a while. And I want to say the first time we had the Super Nintendo was when we rented it from a place called Video Central. And, you know, you had to put a deposit down and all that stuff. And I had an older brother who could do that. And so, you know, we played Super Mario World, blew our minds, all that good stuff. Well, it wasn't until about a year later or so, I want to say, uh, maybe 92 or 93, when we finally got a Super Nintendo. And uh, we ended up with a copy of ActRaiser. And, you know, I I wasn't quite so much into RPGs then. I was still really little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was really young. Um, but I loved the action platformer parts that were kind of like Rastan, you know, that arcade, arcadey action element to them uh, with, with the cool boss fights, and a little bit like Castlevania. And, you know, the simulation parts, I really didn't get so much. And so I remember flipping through like a Nintendo Power guide or something and finding the code to... Uh, I think I think there was a code where you could unlock the um, the professional mode early on. Yes, <laughs> I'm jumping ahead of myself. But yes, you know yep. where you could just do the action stages, and like I would do that because I didn't get the simulation mode when I was a kid. And it wasn't until like maybe 1997 or something. I was a little bit older. I'd played more RPGs like Final Fantasy two and three, and I'd played Sim City a bit. And I was like, I finally wrapped my head around the concept. Like, okay, you know, now I, I'm starting to get this game. But when I was really little, uh, when I was you know, really young, I was more geared towards the action. And now that I'm a little older, I definitely love the combination of both. And it's it's almost like it's a nice break when you get to the simulation aspect because you can't die in that mode. 
You know, you just you kind of have to you can't shoot your arrows anymore as the little flying angel guy. But, um, you know, in the action stages are kind of tough. They're even harder in the Japanese version. But um, it's nice that it's almost like when you're listening to an album, right? You listen to a record or something. If it was uh, just really fast music the whole time, you might get tired of it, you know. But if it's uh, if it slows down a bit, you know, on some tracks or something, it's kind of a nice break. And that's how I feel about the simulation mode of this game, you know. You're going, 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 and then you get a break, and the gameplay slows down a little bit, and you can kind of think and breathe, mm. and I, I kind of enjoy that aspect. We get a break in the early towns, like as far as like a simulation goes, but later on, uh, but later on, yeah, it gets much more frantic. Ah, <laughs> uh, North Wall. Yes, the last area <laughs> is insane with the skull. But we will definitely talk about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We definitely talk about that. Like in depth, like I'm uh, shortly here. So, um, um, the plot of the game is pretty basic, uh, which you might expect for something like of this nature. Uh, you are basically God. I mean, you're not called God in the North American version because they removed, because they because they toned down some of the religious uh, uh, messages and subtexts that the original Japanese version of the game had. Uh, in the North American version, like referred to as the master. Uh, but for all practical purposes, like you are God, um, so uh, you had a battle against an evil one, uh, like like an evil like a, uh, this big uh, this big evil demon, which is pronounced a uh, uh, Tendra, I think, if that's how you say it, um, several hundred years ago, and the battle was a draw, and you went into sleep to heal your wounds, and now finally several hundred years later, you woken up only to find that. Um, like we find the Tendra has corrupted the land and turned on people into monsters, and there's no humans left, like in the world. And and your power is directly derived by the faith and the, the and by the faith and the belief in the numbers of the people on the world. So you need to like you need to repopulate the land, make it safe for your followers, uh, grow the towns, and have them believe in you by doing things for by doing things for you. And that in turn gives you power, and as your power increases, you're able to go up to to, to, to conquer more more difficult challenges and regain your power up eventually to the point where it was uh, flavor was flavor was beforehand and then and then finally and then finally you have the strength to be able to defeat uh, and then finally you have the strength like defeat the evil demon and beat the game uh, there are six stages all together like in the game um, and the and, and the like the flow of the game is very unique um, each world starts with an action stage, uh, where your spirit actually goes down to the to, goes down to the world and inhabits and it's like inhabits a stone statue of a warrior that was up behind. So you're playing this like uh, uh, stone turned flesh warrior uh, like in the action stages. Uh, you do the action stage, then you go to simulation stage, like we like grow and build a town, and eventually, and eventually, you reach a point where you have to go into action stage again uh, to defeat the final boss and liberate to liberate that province and go on to the next one. Uh, it is possible to do things. It is possible to do things that fight of order a little bit. I've seen some walkthroughs on uh, on YouTube and, uh, and, and you know things like that with other people have. Have, people have hopped around a little bit from place to place, but uh, I've always played it very. I've always played it very traditionally, straightforward as the game wants you to. Um, and and the first time through, it's definitely encouraged to encouraged to, uh, to to follow the path through that's recommended for you. Uh, later on, when you get better at the game, you can you can do things slightly out of order because there are certain advantages like doing that. But um, 
So that's like the whole game just consists of you going back and forth between action and simulation modes, just trying to uh, increase your power, uh, grow your town, and to uh, and to defeat some enemies in some really challenging action stages, like Aaron already like, alluded to previously. And uh, the one thing I wanted to mention too was uh, just the really cool animation that happens when you drop down into an action stage, and it's uh, the really really interesting use of the mode seven because you know you're on the overworld map and uh the game starts to you're in your sky palace you decide okay i'm going to drop down into this stage uh the game actually spins the map around really dramatically and you hear the the chromatic you know chromatic tone the do 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 you know yes (laughs) speeding up (laughs) until you get right into the uh the lair wherever you're going and uh it's it's just fantastic the music is amazing you start on that at first level uh at fillmore and you got just a great score from yuzo koshiro so yeah he is also uh, yep yeah exactly but uh but he's also he's he's also very well known for having like for having like for having like scored the like for the music uh like the streets of rage series yeah, Streets of Rage. Uh, he had done a lot of music for Falcom for like the Ease series before that. A really cool game called uh, the the Scheme. Some you know earlier titles, and just thought it was awesome that uh, you know he's, he's brought on with Quintet to do the music for this game. And you know if I can jump into the music a little bit, I hope mm-hmm. that's okay. Yep. Um, what's really interesting? What's really cool is that. Um, when when he's working on the music, uh, some fantastic music in this game. Don't get me wrong, but you'll notice he's trying to push the limits of the Super Nintendo, and so everything's very orchestral. Okay, mm-hmm. a lot of John Williams inspired music in this game, and you'll notice especially if you get to a certain point where it sounds exactly like the uh, the, the Rebel theme from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. If you if you get to uh, I think it's Northwall, that's where you're just like, okay, I feel like I'm in a um, in, in an X-wing right now, and I'm flying. <laughs> uh. And then like when you when you beat the game, it sounds like the music from the you know the 20th Century Fox theme. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Yuzo definitely is an excellent composer. He's probably he's probably like one of my like favorite like, video game composers out there. Uh, because not only because not, because not only does he do great work, he he also he also balances his work to take advantage of the strengths uh, of each system of each system system that uh, that he's composing the music for. Uh, with this game in particular, like you said, the full the, the very rich orchestral sounding music is something the Super NES really did a great job of because of its because of the custom uh, Sony music chip that the system that the system used, and there's several other games I think that also that also take that also take great work great great use of that chip and making it and make it sound very orchestral. Super Castlevania IV, uh, like another great example. Uh, 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 Super Ghost and I uh, sorry like uh, Ghosts and Ghosts uh, also. Um, 
But but yeah, and the Streets of Rage series, he also took advantage of the took advantage of the took advantage of Strange the Strange Genesis hardware, uh, as far as its uh, music music chip capabilities, uh, that gave it a very like excellent soundtrack. Uh, like in fact, I, like in fact, I found out I found out recently uh, there's, there's another podcast I listen to also. Uh, which on the Retro Junkies Network also, uh, which is called the Retro State of Mind, uh, they covered Streets of Rage 2 like in their last day of podcast. Uh, I highly recommend that podcast. Like, that's what we've been listening to. Uh, they mentioned that they um, that Yuzo actually has an uh, uh, like an active an active channel a channel uh, like on YouTube and it, uh, which which I know about and checked it out recently. Um, not only does he have versions of his music music on there, he he also he also has done remixes of like Super NES music on Genesis hardware and vice versa. So you can hear you can hear like for example what Akira's music music would sound like like if it's done Genesis hardware instead. So like really interesting. So uh, yeah, this guy really was very was very talented being able to take advantage of the strengths of the system he was making the system that he's composing composing music composing the music for, and the soundtrack to this game is just totally excellent. It's it's probably probably like my favorite soundtracks, uh, uh, like for any game series bar none. Um, my personal favorite. Yeah, there's actually an, an orchestral version of the whole soundtrack, and I know that um, Yuzuki Koshiro himself. Has actually been to Magfest. I'm uh, sorry, Magfest uh, over on the East Coast, mm-hmm. um, which is like it's the Mid Atlantic uh, Gaming Convention, and he's he's gone there and and uh, done a DJ set of some of his music from like Actraiser mm-hmm. and uh, Streets of Rage, um, maybe even Super Adventure Island. I don't, I don't recall, but uh, yeah, just fantastic work, and you could tell that. You know, they they really wanted him to push the limits of the system, and everything just you know the qualities just sound very high quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas sometimes things can kind of sound muddy on the SNES. Not in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, it sounds really clean and uh, r- really great mood. One of my favorite themes in the game is probably uh, you know the the Fillmore level one theme. Yep, same uh, here. Blood Blood pool. Uh, yep, again, same here. <laughs> uh, the the part. Okay, so there's a part where you get to. Um, I think it's. Um, what is it? Casandora, uh, which is like a desert town. Mm-hmm. I think that's the one you get to, where. Um, yeah, so Casandora, I want to say, is the one you get to, where you discover, that the townspeople have music. Okay. Yes. And so, like, once they they one of the people um, who dies trying to fight the monsters in that city, um, it, it's really touching. Like, they dedicate a song to him, and then you you, you see like the little music bubbles over people's houses, and it's playing like this very somber tune. Um, but it's a really really good song, and so like they give you the power of music, and you can take it to other towns, and it makes the the uh, villagers happier basically yeah yeah definitely yeah the music the music is extremely well composed like fit designed to be able to match the mood to the the, the, uh, uh, you know, the overall mood and feel of the stages uh the action stages the action stage music is very frantic fast paced uh the town music like it's very more serene laid back and composed um 
yeah, just the, just the whole the, the yeah the whole overall package. Music really is a strong, have a stronger, strong emphasis emphasis like like this game, and also the graphics are also a very strong emphasis of the game. I think even today this game still looks gorgeous. Uh, this game was mind blowing like when it first came out. Just really, just really, really again pushing off the graphical hardware, the system, the system like both well the sound chip, uh, bright, large, colorful sprites. Uh, rich detailed uh, um, uh, color schemes used, uh, just um, uh, excellent like visual effects and small cues. Uh, like you said, for, like you said earlier, the towns, uh, like the bubbles that come up above the house every now and then for like you know music or sadness or happiness, like or whatnot. Um, the mode seven effect, uh, starting off the action, you know, the action scenes, uh, just. So it's really particularly so in the action scenes, but you can see it also in the simulation. Also, the whole the whole graphical package with this game is just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it's definitely a pinnacle of like 16-bit technology. Yeah, and there in one place I wanted to highlight. Maybe we'll I don't know if we're going to really dive deep into the stages, depending on how much time we have. But um, when you get to the Egyptian-themed area of the game, which I think is Casandora. When you get to one of the uh, pyramids, you get to the pyramid in the town, you, you uncover it, and you find it, and you find out that's the source of the monster's power. You go in there, and um, it's just, you know, it, it's like you're being in a pyramid, and, you know, the, the background is black, except for there's these shadowy figures, and it's very spooky, because you get to a certain point, and it's actually, uh, they, got, they have statues of Anubis, which is like an Egyptian god, because this game is very influenced by different world cultures. Mm-hmm. And so you see this creepy-looking statue uh, off in the background and just adds to the ambiance of the game, and it's just really, really neat. Um, so just thought I'd add that. Yep, excellent point. Um, so let's talk about... Like, let's go... Like a little bit of discussion like about each of the various um, uh, modes of the game and what makes it like you know like so like so unique and why it fits together well. Um, we'll start off with the action with the action stages since the first one to thrust into. Um, this is your pretty typical um, side-scrolling action platform element. Uh, your warrior is appropriately enough stiff moving, I think, because well, well he did come from a statue, so. He reminds me a lot about Simon, like in the older Castlevania games. Uh, very limited movement, very limited, just like very limited jump ability. Uh, one attack only, and that's it. Um, so we it's kind of like an upward swinging arc right. over his head. Yep. Yeah, yeah, because he wields a two-handed bastard sword, uh, which is which which actually is a great weapon because it has like a long reach to it, um, and you can also crouch down uh, and use that weapon like from a like from a crouching position also. Um, the stiffness takes a little bit to get used to. Uh, once you get the hang of it, like you're able to hop around and move and attack like pretty easily. Um, there are there are items you can find in statues. Uh, there are there are apples to give you to give you hit points. Uh, diamonds diamonds to give you points. There are one ups you can find every now and then. Uh, you have a hit gauge. Um, your hit points, magic points, are that you can use in the action stages are directly are directly determined by your overall level, and your levels and your levels determined by how well you've done the simulation mode. So again, there's a direct cause and effect thing between the between two parts of the game, in which you have to do well in one to be able to do well in the other. So it's all very wonderfully like interlaced. Uh, 
chewed yeah, together. Yeah, very, very related. Right. Yeah, and it's like you, you know, you, you beat the action stages and you move the plot along, basically. Right. So otherwise, you're in the simulation mode, and uh, the more you build the population up, they're gonna, you know, the greater the population, the higher your level, the more the greater life bar you have. And as you discover stuff in simulation mode, you'll get a source of magic, which will add to your your magic stuff and then you can like during different areas of the game you can find different magical powers but there's one magical power to rule them all (laughs) to be honest it makes it so much easier i think i know what it is but go ahead and tell me anyway (laughs) what is it called it's like the uh oh i know what it is so it's the magical stardust yes it's the one where it's like the the stars rain down yep. from the top right of the screen. Mm. It is the perfect boss destroyer in this game. For most bosses. You can't boss- use it professionally, though. Right. For yeah. most bosses, though, it's pretty handy. For most bosses. Except for ones where they jump around on platforms and the stars just kind of dissipate once they hit the uh, the platforms. Exactly. Uh, you also have a... Uh, you also have you also you also have a number of scrolls that determine how many times they can use magic like each like stage. Um, so it's like you have to... But again, but again, those are and again those scrolls are those scrolls are things that you find by doing well in simulation mode. So uh, there's once again there's a cause and effect play there. Uh, there are two action stages like for each like for each town. The first one the first one's easier, just kind of like to uh, you like to trade the lay of the land that kind of stuff. And the, but the second one the second one uh, you're going up against the actual true boss uh, uh, of the town. Uh, each action stage does have a boss, but the boss for action, but the, but the boss of the second action part is more difficult than the boss of the first action part. Um, and it, and the, the locations, the locations that the stages take place in, there, there's excellent, there's excellent, uh, there's excellent level design and enemy design also in this game too. I think because the locations are, the locations like are very varied. You, you fight, it's like fight everywhere from like. Uh, uh, pyramids, like Aaron already said, uh, to the background of like a blood-filled lake, uh, to also like a, a climbing up, you're climbing up a frozen tree, uh, to going through a desert, uh, to going through a ruined castle. Just excellent locations and backdrops that are used in the game. Uh, enemy designs are very well done. The enemies are numerous, uh, uh, different, different like in each stage. I, I didn't really see too many, too many reuse of sprites here. That some games. Yeah, every once in a while you'd you'd see like the uh, the smaller creature type enemies show up in in different levels. But yeah, for the most part, you're right. You had a huge variety of enemy design and. One thing I don't think we mentioned too with the, the the controls of the game, it's very simple, very simple game. Jump and attack, and then use magic. Uh, but the the thing I wanted to point out too was that have you noticed that when you jump, you jump in an arc, you jump at a certain speed, you know, in the air, and then as you descend, you actually uh, fall down faster. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's pretty pretty interesting, and and this is the only game I can think of that does that because when you're jumping in like Super Castlevania Four. It's the same jump speed when you're up in the air and when you're coming down. I'm not really sure if that was intentional or not. Like, it might have been just a program. It's possible. It's possible that that might have. I I just a programming bug. Yeah. No. I don't. I don't know because you think like you think how much finesse it took to get Mario to Mario to jump the way he does Super mm-hmm. Mario Brothers. Yeah. And how many games tried to copy that game? And they couldn't get it quite right. And you see games where they're pretty bad games because they can't get that jump right. Mm. 
Um, I think Actraiser does a pretty good job. It's not my favorite jump, but, uh, you know, especially when you're trying to make, like, a tricky jump in the game and you just can't land it quite right. But for the most part, the game's pretty forgiving. Mm. Um, you're not going to find crazy jumps like you do in some of the Castlevania games. Well, there are some... Yeah, for the most part, there are some very difficult jump sequences. I'm thinking about a couple of stages in particular that have, like, vanishing platforms that you have to, like, hop on to. <laughs> yeah, I can think of one where it's, like, Mega Man vanishing platform style. Right. Um, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. And then there's one area where you're fighting a boss, and uh, that one is just pretty tricky because you're on top of these platforms that keep breaking. And you've got to jump from platform to platform. Yeah, I actually think all the boss. Yeah, I actually think all the boss stages, sorry, the boss fights in this game are actually like, they're actually quite difficult. Uh, the boss, the, the boss of this game, like, are all very well done. Uh, they're all very different monsters, like all very different attacks. Uh, once you learn the patterns, most of them are not that bad. And like Aaron said, Stardust is a very handy magic to use like, against most of them. Uh, but those first few times when you first run up against a boss, you're probably going to get your butt kicked because these bosses can be very difficult and uh, difficult uh, to actually like learn the pattern down, um, like of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to attack them. And it really helps. It, it really helps. If your life gauge and magic gauge is also as strong as it could be at that, but at that point, because you try to, I can only imagine trying to, I can only imagine trying to beat some of these bosses where bosses are like a few levels or are like lower um, uh, that would get the chance to, to go into it with, because uh, these enemies can hit pretty tough. Um, I yeah. think. Sorry. Oh, go no, ahead. I was going to say, uh, and also I've noticed it like in the instruction manual. Okay, so the instruction manual is fantastic. This is one of the best manuals for uh, an, an older title I've seen, especially for like an action RPG type game, uh, hybrid, whatever. It, it, ex it lays out the whole game for you, basically. And there's a section in the game that says, if you encounter a boss and you keep dying, go back to the simulation mode and build up your town some more so you get some more life. It actually tells you that in the manual. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is one. This is one of the few games I've played where it really helps to look at the man. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, uh, like for me personally, even with, like me personally, the hardest bosses, the the hardest, well, the hardest bosses in this game for me, but like even with the magic, um, was the final boss of the. Um, oh, what was the? Oh, are you talking about the? It's like the Arctic Wyvern. I know yep. you're talking about yep. the one on North Wall where yep. Yep. he's, he's one. attack pattern and mm. just, it's just really hard to dodge. And so unless you use that mm. magic, he's just such a pain in the butt. And, and like, there's also the boss you mentioned earlier, like the one that has the platforms. Like, uh, I believe yeah. he's the boss of the pyramids. Yeah, maybe it's Manticore right, or yeah. something like that. It's always yeah. the, it's always the Act Two bosses harder. Mm. The Act yeah. One bosses aren't so bad. They're meant to be a warm up most of the time. Right. Yeah, but all in all, I thought this game did a very good job of, like, a very good job of increasing, like, increasing, like, increasing difficulty. Uh, the difficulty increases felt just right. Uh, as long as you have to spend some time uh, building up a town and trying to get it you know, to, to either two max or, or two max or close to max, um, uh, uh, the stages, the the, the the difficulty stages was just about the right level. I thought not too easy, not too hard. Uh, definitely challenging the first the several times through, um, but if you lose all your lives and have to continue, it, it's not really like a big deal. They like to go back to gain the stage again. So, um, the, the, like, so this is this is this is not a hardcore uh, action platform game where you're like ripping your hair out trying to 
still trying to make your way through it. Um, Maybe in the original Japanese version, because <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot harder. Mm. Uh, and what's interesting, uh, before I forget, you can actually play the Japanese version in English if you go grab the fan translation from uh, Aeon Genesis. Mm. So uh, it's, it's a ROM hacking group uh, run by this guy named Gideon Z, and he actually... Uh, retranslated the game. It actually restores some of the um, the local localization um, issues that the North American version had uh, because Nintendo was very weary of putting things like um, Satan mm-hmm. yep. or God in the game, which is what the original intention was of the, the creators of the game. Uh, and, and you know they also took out things like any mention of slavery, any mention of um, suicide, uh, just some pretty t- deep topics in this game that come up. As you go to the different towns, that uh, you know just got taken away, and also I, I think the difficulty was probably balanced for the better. Mm. That was probably a good thing. Um, but I, I'm glad you can at least play the professional mode and experience mm. uh, how hard it used to be. Yes. Uh, yep. Definitely. Uh, the professional mode, by the way, is what you unlock. Uh, they have you. Like like what you unlock, like after they beat the game. Uh, once you finish the game, if you go back to the menu screen and push down on the control pad, you'll see a third option come up on third option come up on the screen, like which is like which like, is like, like, like a professional, and that just like that just basically is it, like all twelve action stages uh, like the game, um, except except you don't have the ability to, like use magic, right, Aaron? I think right, yeah, right, you don't yeah. get the ability to use magic, and I forgot to point out in the Japanese version. When you use magic, I think it uses more of your scrolls, mm. and so being able to use like one of those uh, <laughs> magical stardust <laughs> right. uh, weapons doesn't help quite as much. Uh, but yeah, in, in professional mode, no magic at all. But uh, you know, I what's funny is in my last playthrough of this game, I forgot you have to equip your magic each time you go in to a new stage. And I forgot to do that for like half the game, and I still beat the levels. But I'm um, just like, man, these some of these bosses are kind of hard. Like, when, do my, when do I get my magic? And then I look at my menu, and I just feel so dumb. Just like, oh, it's right here, uh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's yeah. You're the first person to tell me that you've done that, so I don't feel bad. So, <laughs> uh, uh, this game definitely has a. Uh, like any flaws this game has, so there's not, so there's not, so there's not very many flaws of the game. Uh, one of the main flaws is just that the game, the game shows the time period that came from the '90s. Uh, it's not quite as uh, user friendly uh, as it could be with, with some of the, uh, like some of the interfaces and the options and, and like reminding you about, like you just mentioned, uh, you know, as far as the ability to deal with these magic and that kind of stuff. So, um, but uh, yeah, so. Um, the simulation mode is also like is also like is also like very unique. I thought um, I you know like I said before I'm a big simulation fan. I've never I've never quite played a game like this as far as simulation goes. Uh, I call it a light simulation mode because it's not really it, because it's not like full heavy controlling simulation like there is in some games like SimCity. Um, the basic idea behind simulation mode is that like is that like is that you've gone in. You've gotten your foothold. You're able, you're able, you're able, you're able to start like, repopulating the land. And they, uh, and these two people, 
uh, start. Um, and then you, the people go ahead and start like building up the town and, and reproducing that kind of stuff. And you're controlling in the simulation mode uh, uh, your servant, like who's like a it's like your servant who's, who's naked cherub yes <laughs> i was gonna say that to be too that's okay <laughs> um yeah this young naked cherub who like fires uh arrows and they uh like you fly him around the stage and your reason and, and the reason and the reason he has arrows is because that there are uh demon layers uh scattered throughout various parts of like in the land, and then the demon layers produce three different kinds of monsters depending upon if you're depending on which stage that you're in. Um, there are white ones that will white ones that will like abduct people. Uh, there are these uh, black black flying bat ones who will cause the crops the the, the crops in the field to dry up. Um, you have to like you know cast rain or cast rain to to, to cause it to cause to cause it to, to come back to life. Uh, or there's also these red devils who will who, who, who attack houses with lightning bolts and destroy them. So, um, and the and the and your overall general objective in simulation mode is like you want to uh, have the town build toward one of these dragon layers to seal it off. One thing one of the things you can do in this mode is to direct. Uh, you can you can lay out in advance five or six or six moves. I think it's five moves in advance. Uh, like an arrow saying, okay, I want the town to go north one square, then west two squares, then like south a square. Uh, and once they get next to a dragon lair, the people the, the, the people automatically seal it off. Um, you can also close a dragon lair by defeating all the monsters inside of it, but that takes a very, very long time. So the most, the most efficient way to, to, to close off the dragon lairs is just to, just to build a town toward it. But um, um, but in the meantime, while you're trying to wait for the, but in the meantime, like waiting for your town to increase the population and size, like so they can actually grow and expand, uh, you're like, you're being kept pretty busy finding this, find this little angel around, going from area to area, def uh, like defeating defeating all these monsters. The monsters are coming up and trying to save your people. Uh, particularly in particularly in the last like particularly in the last like two stages of the game, you are frantically going around from point to point to point trying to like. You're trying to get the demons in check, and this is one of the items that the items that you can obtain uh, by doing like good game plan simulation mode are really a godsend. Because some of the items, because some of the items, some of the items that you can get from people include bombs, which will destroy all the monsters uh, like on the screen at once. Uh, 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 power up to your bow, which allows it to be able to shoot stronger, like stronger arrows. Um, but other stuff like that. So. Um, Work to the wise, hold these, hold these power ups, and find to get the last, like, you know, like uh, stage or two because they're because they're really going to be very, very, very handy. At the, I like those stages. Yeah, you really need to use those bombs to uh, clear the enemies out. And you can also use the power of wind. The wind does the same thing, but it uses magic. Mm -hmm. So if you can use some of those um, those items you pick up, oh man, they they really help. Mm. And um, yeah, just. The whole thing is build early and build often. You know, just get your get your town um, building towards the monster layer as fast as possible. And then, now, of course, uh, on almost all the areas, you have to do something first so they can do that. Usually, uh, like in Fillmore, you have to clear the bushes. You know, because you're a god, you have the power of things like you have the power of the elements. Mm -hmm. So you can do things like um, set fire to the bushes. Or uh, you know, with with the with with your lightning ability, 
Um, and you can use rain in the desert to clear away the desert. Uh, you can use sunshine to dry up the snow. You know, um, earthquake is my favorite favorite <laughs> ability in the game because uh, it, at first it seems like a bad thing. Like you're just a you're just a jerk. Like you're, you're a mean guy. You're just gonna use your earthquake powers to to destroy all these homes. But the ultimate intent, um, in one area, it actually reveals a hidden mm -hmm. island. Yeah. But it, in all the other areas, it actually gives you a population mm -hmm. boost because they rebuild the town stronger. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of like the the wolf and the, the uh, three pigs, you know. Yeah. And they had to find a stronger house so the, the wolf couldn't blow their house down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so this is the same deal, so... You know, the the earthquake levels all the houses, and then they rebuild, and, uh, you know, now they're in um, little McMansions. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, they go from being in little teepees and little huts mm. uh, to, you know, everyone's um, got a jacuzzi and uh, just living the life. Right. Yeah, there are three sizes, like, the towns, uh, houses, like, as you go through the, this, they're, they're, like go through the town, and the uh, and the uh, as the town increases in its popular population, uh, that's what unlocks level two, like and finally like level three, like the town size. Um, and you want to have all the buildings at level three because that maxes out your because that maxes that maxes out your population. And the game teases you very heavily by not letting you use earthquake until about like stage four because. Because you start the game knowing all the spells, but all the spells, but all the spells require a certain amount of MP to use. And an earthquake is the last. An earthquake is the most powerful spell in the game. So it requires, it requires something like 90 or 90 MPs to use. And you don't get yeah. that many MPs until like. Uh, oh wait, no, I think it's like 160 actually. That and, many? Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Yeah. So like, wind is 80. <laughs> Magic Earthquake is like 160, and you don't get that much until like the third or fourth town. Right. So it is interesting <laughs> that you can actually, you don't have to do everything in order in this game. Right, as like long said as you're yep, leveled yep, up yep, enough. Yeah. Yeah, like yep. you said, you can take some towns out of order a little bit, but you're going to reach a point where they're going to want you to use some power or something that you don't have enough magic for. Right. <laughs> that yeah. might happen. <laughs> so you, it usually just helps to go in order. <laughs> but you can beat a few levels out of order if you want. Yep. Yep. So the basic gameplay of simulation mode is, I guess, like it's pretty much like, you know, threefold. Uh, first, go ahead and, and build your town out to see all the, like, see all the dragon layers. Then once the dragon layers are sealed, uh, go ahead and use either lightning or earthquake, depending upon your, depending upon your MPs, uh, to go ahead and level these, the, 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 the smaller houses, the stage one, stage two houses. So like people like rebuild them to stage three. So this like to get more population, um, and, and then go ahead and poke around the poke around the world because uh, because every because every town has hidden items that you can find. If you do a certain magic magic thing in a certain area, uh, like be rewarded by getting like a one up or a magic scroll uh, or a bomb or something like that. And usually, 
arm. And usually, they're not too hard to figure out. I, they just have to use a, a little bit of creative thinking. Uh, like for example, the one town, one town, if you have the rain in a certain part in the lake, it increases the water, the water level to, to cause an item to wash or wash ashore. Um, like another area, you have to like you know like uh, clear like clear a bush on an island. So it's, it's like people go out there on an expedition, they find you know, they find something for you. Um, so just take some time to like poke around the, the, the land and be suspicious. Just like you know, blast rocks. Uh, try to like set fire on bushes. Uh, cause... Throw some lightning down on the on the, the shrine in uh, Northwall, and they give you an item. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. It so. tells you that in the instruction manual, by the way. So <laughs> don't feel like you always have to figure it out on yourself. <laughs> yes. So um, um, and. Uh, um, and yeah, uh, actually, Aaron, I'm curious to hear, so I'm curious to hear from you because, like, Aaron, because Aaron just recently we played this whole game again uh, last week. As a matter of fact, uh, I was too busy to do that, unfortunately. Uh, my last, my last, my last, like, play, play play through the game was about like six months ago. Um, but uh, um, but it's but it's actually but it's actually very very challenging. I think to, 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 I think to actually get max level in this game because you have to you have to really. Because you get that last level, um, you really have to maximize every little nook and cranny of like of all six of your towns, and it can be very very difficult sometimes to do that because you're like you know, because, because certain randomness to how the towns built. Uh, certain towns will have like you know, certain towns will have like three crop fields in one game or like two crop fields in another game or whatnot. So um, depending upon depending upon the certain randomness of the game, it can be very very difficult to max out your level like some games. Um, so I'm curious to know if you had any, if you had any problems or difficulties like in your last playthrough, uh, being able to get the maximum level in the game because the game, because the game does tell you once you reach maximum level, um, once you find, if you want to find do so, the angel will give you a message something like, oh, I, um, congratulations, like you've now redeemed all your power that you had previously, uh, something like that. So, um, the... um, you know, I don't think I made it all the way to the, the final level, um, I want to say I, I probably tapped out at about 15 or 16. Mm. Uh, I was pretty close, though, uh, but I didn't quite get there. Yeah, 16 is the highest level. Uh, 16 is the max. Oh, no, I, I'm seeing on here 17. I'm looking at a guide real quick. Oh, um, 17, okay. Like 17 right. is. Okay, yeah, seven. and it looks like it's a, if, you get ex, if you get your experience up to 4,600, uh, HP up to 24, and, and spell, says, uh, or SP up to 340. Hmm. Well, that's very difficult to do because, like you know, like I said, there's a certain kind of randomness to how the town's built. Um, like, if, like, you know, I've had numerous games where I'm like, you know, okay, I need to get this population up a little bit higher here. Like I said, blast some towns, uh, um, you know, like a blast of the house of lightning. I'm just like, you people are building the wrong way. So it's like, you know, very, very frustrating sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, um yeah, luckily, I don't think you have to be at that level 17 to beat the game. 16, 16 I've beaten the game at several times in the past. So, but uh, that's one of the, I mean, that's one of the few flaws in this game, I think. The fact that, you know, the fact how the, the randomness of the towns makes it very difficult like, to knock the level out. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, and it's, it's, the general strategy is just to build up your towns as, as much as possible. And um, just make sure you level everything with your earthquake powers and explore every inch of the map. Uh, and there's little things that will give you, you know, XP bonuses. Mm -hmm. So always listen to the always listen to the town people. It actually, uh, it's 
a little bit of world building. They explain some of the um, the storyline going on um, for each town, and it's really interesting. You know, you find out, you start to care a little bit about the characters because you, you know you run into like townspeople that lose their son. You know, he wanders off to uh, a castle, uh, and you know I think he gets killed. Um, to you know stuff like the the guy who dies in battle trying to destroy one of the monster lairs and or you know like the the demon that uh disguises himself as a man and convinces the people to stop following you in uh the the tropical town you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's all sorts of little interesting things and it it always comes down to okay we've got to go to the lair and got to go beat up some bad guy again but you know (laughs) It's it's kind of formulaic by the end, but you get you get into the groove and you're like, okay, I got this. Mm. I'm gonna go, you know, I'm gonna do stage one. I'm gonna do some building. I'm gonna do stage two and knock out the final boss. And in uh, there you go. So mm. I mean, ultimately, you should be powered up enough by the time you get to uh, Deathheim mm. at the very end. And Deathheim's interesting too because oh yes, not, there's oh. no simulation mode mm. whatsoever. It turns into a Mega Man style like boss rush. Okay. You know, the boss rush, exactly. Uh, very, so they're uh, going to give you every boss uh, from stage two. Thankfully, you don't have to fight all the stage one bosses again. No. It's just all stage two bosses back to back. Yes, but they are definitely a lot harder like this version, that's for sure, because um, because like, you don't regain uh, HP like, between like each of those bosses. No, so, you don't. Right, so... <laughs> and, so you got to make sure you have enough HP, yes. Right. Yeah, so the bosses themselves are also like, a lot stronger, like, stronger, like more powerful. And then finally, after being those six bosses, they finally go. They finally go against. Uh, Tamzra. Right, you got the demon. In two D. Um, like that's, a, and that battle is very difficult. That's two part battle, and it's like you know, for the last part of the battle, you all of a sudden they like, gain the ability to be able to shoot projectiles like in your sword, and I'm like, where the hell has this been? I like oh, all yeah. game. And it's, it's a pickup. <laughs> you, you find that pickup like in one other area, and it really comes uh, in handy. Yeah. But that's the thing; those, those pickups are like in really out of the place, really out of the place areas in the levels. <laughs> They're tricky to get to. And there was uh, one area where I picked it up, and it was fantastic to use on the boss. Mm. And then it just magically gives it to you. It's kind of like when you get to the end of Super Metroid, and suddenly you've got like this crazy laser beam thing. Um, it's the same th- thing in here, where you really need this projectile because. Uh, you know, the final boss has two forms. Uh, he's raining a shower of whatever on you, and you know, it turns into like a spacey background thing, um, where you know, you, you don't know if you're floating in air or whatever. But um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, I will tell you the strategy on the main on the last bosses. There's a kind of a projectile thing that he shoots at you in his second form, and it comes up to you, um, and it kind of comes up from the ground if you line yourself right in between i think it's the score and the life meter there's a little spot on the screen where you can line yourself up where you will not get hit until he starts throwing out some like orb things you have to destroy mm-hmm. yep. then uh it makes it a lot easier yeah because i did die on that the last boss a few times and i can't imagine it would be any easier trying to do that on uh, professional mode <laughs> no. but it, at least you have that uh that that fire sword thing because uh it, it does come in handy oh yes yep yep and so after a very difficult boss fight i treat your very like you know i like an interesting and bittersweet ending i think um uh uh 
like a very like appropriate, like appropriate way to end the game. I thought, uh, you know, considering the overall theme and message, the, 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 you know, the, you know, considering, you know, considering, considering the overall theme of the game, uh, you know, the messages, the messages, the messages that you've been getting, getting, getting and seeing, uh, you know, all through the game. So, uh, very good ending, like overall, I thought. So. Yeah, I like the fact that the cherub, it, it's kind of like in any good RPG. Uh, so in this case, the cherub kind of tells you what happened to the various towns after you defeated the bosses. And it's just interesting that uh, you mentioned the bittersweet part. You know, they kind of leave it up in the air and they're kind of like, you know, I wonder if the as the people continue to prosper, um, if they're going to forget you, which, you know, it's it's allegorical. It, it's kind of a reference to the Bible itself, where mm-hmm. people, the more they prosper, you know, I'm just saying that from, a, you know, from my own standpoint, um, not getting to religion much, but just saying that, you know, as people got more riches and stuff, they forgot about God. And so that's what they're basically saying in the game. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Yeah, this game is very, very heavy with, like, you no know, religious messages, religious uh, inspiration, um, which is why some of that was toned down, like the North American release. Yeah, um, okay. R- real quick. Now, usually in Japanese RPGs, usually you're the one who's sent to go kill God. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting that you actually are God in this one. Because uh, you've, you've seen games like that where it's like, oh, the ultimate final boss is God. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah, definitely. No, but Quintet did that like for their games. Like in the Soul Blazer, like, you're also you're also like playing well not God himself which kind of like you know like a second hand of God basically so I mean like you're, and, uh, and there's kind of a not not quite sim in the same aspect but there's a town where things get built mm-hmm. yeah 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 definitely so uh yeah um so that's Act Razor um and he like a very very good game like all together uh like I said you know very excellent blending of the blending of the action simulation parts I mean, like you know the two parts are the two parts are connected so well together that they know that you really want to do well one because you have to play one of them because it's one of them because because it directly influences your influences your success uh, like on the other and both parts are playing both parts you know like you know both parts are definitely like a lot of fun to play um um uh, Aaron, uh, how long did it take you in your most recent playthrough to go through the whole game, would you say? Um, I would say it took me... Uh, I played it a few days out of the week. I'd probably say it was maybe about six to eight hours. Yeah, yep, that sounds about right. Uh, my experience my experience playing this in the past, um, it's like it's been all together, it's like it's been all together, um, uh, gameplay time, like about that. I figure for a first-timer playing this, probably get about, like, you probably get about, like, you know, eight to ten hours. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's like it's not a very long game. She, she doesn't require a huge, to, you know, does not require a huge, like huge time sink from you to play this game. Uh, which, which is another reason, like, why, which is another reason, like why Aaron and I really encourage anybody out there who's not yet played this game to definitely, to definitely pick it up and give it a shot because, like you know, um, you can definitely knock it off in two days. Uh, but it's not really the, cha- the, the 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 challenge is about right. The difficulty the difficulty is well the difficulty is like well balanced. The game doesn't require you to take a huge amount of time for uh, like me to play it. So yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. And you know, uh, I know we mentioned it earlier, and I guess before you wrap up, 
So, um, and, and I hope you do cover it on the show sometime, but there is an act raiser too. Also by Quintet, by same, a lot of the same people, music by Yuzo Koshiro again, so you think it's a formula for success. It's a decent game, but they took out the sim aspect, and I don't know why. Yeah. And, and they also slowed down the gameplay a little bit. The gameplay slowed down a little bit. They gave your character wings for some reason, uh, and so the wings kind of make the jumps a little trickier because you can kind of glide down, but you have to hit up or down on the uh, the, the D-pad at just the right moment so you don't skid. And then uh, just it's not as inspired as the original game and you feel that like they really didn't build on what was already pretty great in the first game i I will give the game credit that it's a beautiful game but it moves it just doesn't move as well as the original yes definitely plus the overall difficulty level that game is cranked up big time it's a very very difficult game much harder than the action sequences i like the original game and also very frustrating, uh, frustrating in some parts. Uh, some parts. Uh, some parts. I remember having some really insane jumps that required, like in that game. So yeah, where you have to use your your gliding ability, yeah, uh, just perfectly to land softly on a platform. So one other thing I wanted to mention, I um, I found this curious, and I didn't know about this story. To know about this when I started doing research, uh, we already talked about pretty much most major differences that the differences that happened uh, between the between the Japanese like North America version of the game, um, like you know like a couple of things the um, the North America version of the game the action seems like are made easier, but curiously enough the simulation the simulation parts the simulation parts like North American like the North American ports like made harder. Um, curiously enough, so it's kind of it's just, uh, as, if, as I thought that was interesting. Um, also, like also the fact that there's actually there's actually differences there's actually differences between this version like the European version that came out the following year, uh, which is the, which is the first time first time first time I ever I ever like remember seeing a game be modified be modified a lot between its North American like European releases. Um, the European version has the professional mode available available. Available, uh, like from the available like. Don't right they have like the, a normal and an expert mode and right. in the pro mode. Yep, yeah. yep. That also. There's three different. Yeah, di- yeah, di- yeah, yeah. Different, yeah, different difficulty levels. Um, professional mode is available. Is available like right from the game start. Um, um, and the uh, and the expert setting for that for that version is even harder than the Japanese version apparently. So uh, I've never played the European version. Uh, version. I think I, I think the next time I, 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 I want to play this game, I'm going to have to track on the copy of that ROM. So you want to give that a shot? Because I want to see. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see. That is how much difficult uh, that it is. Uh, curious. I'm not sure like why they did that. So uh, maybe they thought the North American version was too easy and decided to crank it up some. It's interesting because um, another game I think of that did did something similar was Battletoads on NES. If you play the Japanese version of that game, it, which came out after the fact, uh, uh, it's actually easier in, in some places. They've removed some of the annoying, really annoying uh, hard spots. Well, I don't know how you can make that game like any more harder. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm saying they made it easier. That's what I mean, yeah, because, like, you know... Yeah, they, the... <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. How could you make it any harder, exactly? Uh, but, yeah, they, they removed some of the, the platform, the tricky platforming, and some of the annoying um, enemies that pop up. But, 
yeah, uh, definitely check out check out the translated ROM if you can. Hmm. Um, it, it's pretty easy to find if you if you know how to right. search for it. Right. So yeah, uh, one last thing that came to mind. Uh, we did talk about here briefly about some hints and tips for getting to the game in simulation mode. Uh, we, we really didn't offer like any kind of uh, our guides or advice for somebody who like read the for... instruction manual. <laughs> yes. Yep. True. Um, um, I did want to mention real quick a few hints and tips for like this game, uh, like of the action stages, particularly particularly early in the game, where you don't have many hit points or magic. Geomagic spell is available to you. Um, uh, Aaron, like you feel free to jump in also with this, but I think with when I think of the action stages, uh, take some time to get should, should take some time to get used to the game because, like I said, your character handles kind of stiffly. So try to flex so flex so flex so try to get a feel for how like how your guy jumps, how he swings a sword. Um, the sword arc is very very good. I think like it's a very wide range attack. So being able to figure out how far back you can attack an enemy with like your sword is very helpful, uh, like in this game, uh, because a lot of enemies, because a lot of enemies just like you want to, a lot of enemies in this game like you want to use a stick and move approach to, go in, make your attack, fall back quickly to like avoid his attack, like then move in again, like should move it again, like whack him again. Um, so uh, so like to master the controls, uh, take it slow. Take time to explore. A lot of a lot of the stages have hidden items uh, that could be up in the trees or behind like certain platform uh, uh, platforms or whatnot. So like like so like so, like so don't feel afraid to explore. I mean because yes, you may end up like being killed, um, but there are uh, but there are some very uh, useful hidden items like to find the like around the game stages. Yeah, and I guess what I want to add to is explore. Definitely explore because. Uh, a lot of times your health is going to go down to one and you're going to be almost dead and you're going to find an apple. You, every single level should have an apple in it somewhere, almost all of them, I think. And sometimes it's out of the way. So what I recommend you do is you go through the stage as much as possible. If you know where that apple is, go back for it when you're going to advance to the next area uh, so you maximize the potential of the apple. The other thing is you've always got, I think, a timer of like 240 seconds. Mm -hmm. So just make sure that you're watching that timer because I've gotten to uh, I've gotten to a boss before. I fought in a boss where it was a pretty tricky boss. And uh, I think it's in Maranra where it's like a, a Shiva type boss. And you have to jump on these platforms that come down from the ceiling. And you can run out of time really easily if you don't know what you're doing. Like especially the first time, so just pay attention to your timer, and you know you can explore and whatnot, but uh, watch out because when the time's up, you're dead. Mm. Yes, yes, definitely. Which is a, definitely a, <laughs> an '80s and '90s thing to do. Yep. <laughs> um, so uh, finally, like finally, like like finally, like, you know, price in the game. Uh, like, be curious, like curious about. Like curious about like like tracking down a physical tracking down tracking down a physical copy. Show a copy of the game. Um, Aaron and I have said that despite the game's, um, I've already mentioned previously that despite the fact that the game was reviewed very well when it came out, um, that this game kind of become a forgotten classic. Uh, which sold respectively, but not huge here in North America. And eBay prices like really like reflect that. I think uh, the price of this game are a lot cheaper than what I'd expected to find for the game. Because I'm 
watched it. I remember having these like really like fond memories of the game and how great and fun it was. Um, but the price of the game is definitely lower than expected. I think really reflecting the fact that they're. You know, this is like a forgotten classic. Um, I found 319 copies of this game was so uh, uh, recently like on eBay, uh, and cart prices range anywhere from $9.26 to 30 bucks. So for, like, as far as Super NES games go, uh, being able to get a copy of this game for 10 bucks, that's pretty good. Um, and the game definitely, and the game definitely, in my like in my honest opinion, it, like worth like worth a lot more than that. Uh, and and, and CIA copies are, are they're really not that much more expensive. Uh, they start anywhere from like twenty dollars and fifty cents, you know, going up to hundred dollars. And the reason, uh, um, and the complete copy for the, the complete copies the the higher end of the price scales are the ones that also included. Um, there was a poster map available also in the game also, uh, which had like a cool poster on one side and a map on the other and many of the CIB copies are missing this for the price that uh prices but if you just want the box and the cart and the manual uh 20 30 bucks is definitely like you know like affordable uh as far as the price scale goes so yeah this game's definitely available for cheap so i highly recommend anybody out there to go out there and check it out either in virtual console like pick up a physical copy of the game uh or at the very least try an emulation if you're not sure about it because because this game is worth a lot more money than 10 bucks. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. Uh, and it's, you know, with so many Super Nintendo games being outrageously overpriced, this is definitely an attainable game. Hmm. And one I think should go in anyone's collection. Yeah, and you know, I'm really kind of sad. I... Yeah, you know, I think it's really kind of unfortunate. You know, I've not seen this formula used again, like any of the games over the years. They, I, you know, I really don't remember having played any other like half action, uh, half simulation games. Now, like I've played a ton of games over the years, Aaron. I think you, you've even played uh, uh, more games than I have. Uh, um, so I can tell you one game that kind of has a <laughs> hybrid. Um, it's, it doesn't have action stages, but it does have action in it. If you ever play Herzog's Y on the Sega Genesis, oh yes, uh, okay, early mm, yep. real time strategy mm. game. But what makes it different from all the other ones is that you're always in the mix because you're a transforming plane and, uh, you know, 50-foot walking robot. Hmm. Um, so, you know, a control is kind of like a real-time strategy game where you create troops and direct them around. But uh, you can actually uh, get in there and and help your guys out. Hmm. That makes sense. And, and kind of like, you know, an act raiser you're the one shooting all the enemies for the townspeople. Yeah. You know, it, it, I like the more direct approach that, that both of these games have. Yes, definitely. Yep, it's a great pick. Uh, that's also a pretty, like, obscure game, I think. Um, um, I, I don't remember seeing that back in the day. I, I, I only ever played that one through emulation. Yeah, it's it's another one that's worth picking up. Mm. Even though it's not Super Nintendo, um, mm. it's it's definitely a, a great game if you enjoy like hybrid games that that did something different. Mm. Yeah. But um, yeah, I can't really think of another game too much. You know, I heard something from one of the directors of ActRaiser that they had wanted to do a sequel to the game, but who knows where the rights are locked up? If it's Square Enix that owns the rights, I guess because uh, they have you know. I think Quintet is still under them. Maybe Quint they 
Did yeah. they have the property? I don't know if that prop if that company got split up or dissolved or what. Yeah, Quintet Quintet's Quintet isn't Yeah, Quintet is dissolved. Uh they're no longer business. I covered this more more thoroughly uh in the Snowblazer episode, but their last game was but that was the game was Ophius, like the PS2. Uh, um, that they went uh, like out of business. So I don't know who has the right to Razor these days. Um, I would think maybe Enix. So maybe maybe Square Enix because they had the uh, the rights to the name. Mm-hmm. I would think. Possibly, it may be one of those things, like where like one company has the rights to name, but another company has the rights to everything else. So. Um, uh, so, like, so somebody probably can make a spiritual, a spiritual sequel or successor to this. Okay. Right. So I think this is how we can answer this. So who brought it out on the virtual console then? There you go. Uh, so it was probably Square. It's probably Square Enix that that gave Nintendo the rights to put it out, uh, or contracted with Nintendo to put it out on the virtual console. Hmm. Because that was sometime in like 2007, I want to say. Yep. Yeah. Yep, indeed, a good point. So, um, so yeah, uh, like I said, you know, Aaron and I both really love this game. It's definitely, like, to me, to me, this about like to me, this game, this game's a classic for me. For, uh, for the, for, I, I really love this game. Every, ever since I first played it, like over twenty years ago, uh, it's definitely like a very like fun game. It's, it's without a doubt one of the best games of the system. I probably might go so far as to say that's that's my list of like top ten to our top fifteen games period of all time for me. This is how much I enjoyed the game. Uh, it, 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 it holds it very well today. Uh, it, it's very fun, very excellent blending of the action and simulation parts. Uh, great, like you no know, excellent soundtrack, great uh, graphics that still look good today. Uh, just a really like unique game, and I'm sucker for like unique games. So uh, this game definitely is like worth like. Uh, checking out if you've not played it or, or have not played it it's like a very very a long time so uh like any final thoughts like about the game aaron uh no just go play it mm-hmm. uh you know it, it, it would be kind of tricky to make a game like that now too because you you think with the the strategy aspect or the town building that would normally be controlled with a mouse. <laughs> you know, maybe you could do it with like an analog stick. You know, you've seen games like XCOM or something where they've taken that sort of experience and put it on a console and made it work. So you, you almost wonder, you almost want to wonder like how how would this game look on a next gen system? And I think it would be fi- absolutely fantastic, mm. and it could work. Uh, is especially with all the advances in technology, I think it could be a great game and i bet you someone will come along with a kickstarter where they say hey if you like that razor hey we're bringing something back that's going to be a lot like that mm. yep i definitely would back that um like for sure like it ever came out so um so that's the game um so aaron i so those so, so aaron i want to thank you very much again for being on the podcast with me like i really appreciate it uh, but you definitely bring a, a, like a whole wealth of like wisdom and knowledge and information uh, to the table with you. So uh, but, it's always like a lot of fun having you on here. Oh, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, um, like, so next week we're going to be having another guest host on the podcast with me. Uh, I'm going to be joined by Tim Van Otrevi. I, I hope I'm saying his last name right. Um, who has recently started a Star Wars podcast. Um, and we're going to be appropriately enough discussing the Super Star Wars games, uh, like the Super, 
uh, for Super NES, like all three games, uh, 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 Super Star Wars, Super Empire Strikes Back, and Super Return of the Jedi. Uh, very good, very challenging uh, uh, side-scrolling action games that all use the same engine. Uh, uh, that's covering all three games like the same podcast. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, because those games are wicked fun, but also wicked difficult. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so um, so yeah. Um, you can find us on uh, on Facebook. We have a group page on there. You can also send me uh, feedback directly at the Super NES um, Podcast at yahoo.com. Um, find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. Um, I appreciate very much like our support. Like can help everybody out there. Like the podcast. Uh, and you know. And if you'd like to be on the podcast to talk, about, to talk about favorite game of yours or have a game to want to have on the podcast to talk about or anything else like that, uh, by all means, please send us some feedback um, if I can support. Um, uh, so, Aaron, uh, you are doing great work on your own podcast, the Retro Obscura podcast. Um, which episode is going to be up next? I'll leave for you guys. Uh, so we got 40, episode 48 coming up, which is going to be about pre-crash games. So any any game coming out in 1983 or before. So stay tuned for that. Okay, sounds good. Um, Aaron, once again, thank you for being on the podcast with me. Um, and you know, and you know, final thought, just get out there and try this game because it's definitely one of the classics of the system. So thank you again. Nintendo controls 80% of the video market. But no matter how you play the game, or which game you play, things definitely have come a long way since Pac-Man. Now you're playing with power. Deep power.